Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Wednesdays with Wheels. It's your favorite friend on Wednesdays, at least I hope I'm your favorite friend on Wednesdays, Wheels Maxwell. Listen, I say this every week because I truly enjoy doing these podcasts, but this one to me is it's special because I have a friend with me, and I'm lucky to call her a friend, but it's also a very important podcast because these very difficult times we're living in right now, there's so much misinformation out there, and this is going to be 45 minutes to an hour of we're going to drill down on some things and try to give you some factual information, some maybe to put your mind at ease. So I'd like to welcome my guest, Dr. Elizabeth Murray. Dr. Murray, how are you? <laughs> Hi, that's an awesome introduction. I can't can't go wrong with something like that. I'll take it. I will not tell Deanna or Weez or anybody, but sorry. No, well, the, the, listen, I only tell the truth. So, you know, there Thank it you. is. Uh, so first of all, I want to talk about you uh, specialize in pediatrics mm -hmm. with a concentration in emergency medicine. Am I correct? Right. Yes. Yep. So, so, and you're originally from the area. I am. I grew up in Brighton. My parents went to Brighton High School. I went to Brighton High School. Yeah. Haven't gone very far. So talk to, first of all, talk to us a little bit about why emergency medicine and specifically why pediatrics. Because oh, adults are gross. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's just so much fun taking care of kids. You know, kids want to be healthy, you know, and when they're sick, it's not usually because of years of making bad choices about their life or, or whatever the case may be. And so it's really easy to have an ally in a child to um, help them regain health. So that is uh, super fun in my in my world, at least. Um, as far as emergency medicine, so when I was 14, I actually became an explorer scout. So the, there's a program for all sorts of different careers, and our local fire department had explorer scouts. And so you can join the fire department. Um, you can go inside and fight fires at 14, but you could learn all sorts of stuff. So then when I was 18, I actually became a volunteer firefighter for the Brighton Fire District and became an EMT and learned all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm only like five feet tall. And so I was really small. So if there was a bad car accident, I could always get inside the car and help and start providing care um, as they were working to cut the person out of the car. And so it just, I don't know, it seemed like a good fit. It quickly became um, something that was just really, really interesting to me. When I was in high school, I thought I was gonna be a lawyer or I wanted to work for the FBI maybe. I, you know, I had all these delusions of grandeur. Um, I did this really cool internship at our town court, but it just kind of, I don't know, medicine just really clicked. And once it clicked, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but I always knew I wanted to do uh, pediatrics and pediatric emergency medicine. I just, I remember like sitting in my college dorm, thinking about it, plotting it all out. And um, here I am all these years later, like way beyond what I had plotted out. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's so far in the future. But uh, here we are, and, many and years I, beyond that. And I assume that with emergency medicine, it's, it's, well, with all medicine, but especially emergency medicine, is it's probably something new. There's a new challenge every day, right? Which it's not necessarily always as cool as it is on TV. Right. Um, right. You know, there is, there is. You never know what's going to walk in, and you definitely find yourself saying, like, "Okay, I thought I'd seen it all, or I'd heard it all," or you know, there's always something, something right. new. But you know, we are very lucky for the care of kids in Rochester. And most of New York, actually, where kids have access to care, you know, everybody has a pediatrician. Um, kids are well covered by the insurance programs throughout New York State. So, you know, we do have a lot of kids that are brought in for things that their pediatrician could handle, but it's not because they don't have their own doctors. Usually it's because of other 
family stressors, you know, a parent can't miss work to go for just the probably simple ear infection during regular business hours and things like that. So we have a lot of um, work to do still to make things even better for kids in our community. But um, we're very lucky. And I think until you like move away, you don't necessarily appreciate um, what a really great pediatric community uh, we have here. We have lots of kids who need lots of help too, but um, it's a pretty great, it's a pretty great spot. Absolutely. As someone who was, when I was a uh, youngster, has taken advantage of some of what Rochester has to offer, I can attest that uh, we are top notch when it comes to uh, children's care uh, here in the, the greater Rochester area. And okay. I also had Jennifer Johnson on uh, the podcast uh, a couple months back, and mm-hmm. she's doing some great work with the hospital now. Yes. And, and so one that's of my exciting. favorite so, lunches ever. I got to tell you this quick story about her that one of my very favorite lunches, you know, she and I have been friends for a long time. And, you know, like six months or so before she even, even longer than that, before it was announced she was coming over, we had lunch together because she said, I'm thinking, I have this idea about working for the children's hospital and I would be doing some outreach and some communication stuff. And I know you do a lot of that thing. What do you think? And I was like, can you start tomorrow? This will be so exciting. So I remember trying to keep that secret for all those months that she was um, thinking of coming over and how exciting, exciting it was. So yeah, she's uh, my partner in crime. We, uh, we definitely uh, are working to try to help increase uh, physicians' abilities to work with the media because it's really hard and getting good information out on social media because, you know, as we've seen with COVID, there's so much misinformation out there. So it's been an awesome, awesome, awesome addition to have her come on board to the Children's Hospital. You know, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast was because I recently saw a, um, a news story that I believe it was was it Channel Eight did with you? Uh, and you were talking, you were you were talking about how you have even you you put out a tweet. It all started mm-hmm. with a tweet that you put out. Yeah, yeah. Last week was a bad week. I had a bad week. So <laughs> let's can we talk about the tweet and then we'll we'll, we'll dive into a little bit. We want to dive into some COVID stuff here. Sure. Yeah, the tweet that generated a lot of buzz. I um, you know, kids are not or has not necessarily been getting as sick from COVID-19, which is a blessing. And it's highly unusual, right? For these respiratory type germs, they are notorious for hitting kids really hard, especially this time of year. And for whatever reason, this one has been different. It's not the kids aren't getting sick with it. It's just not nearly as severe as they usually do with these types of germs. But as an overall number of cases go up, guess what? Kids are going to start to get sick too. And we had just been so spared in our community and had this awesome statistic of having the fewest number of cases or the lowest positivity rate for a city our size anywhere in the United States. And then all of a sudden things started to go up. And then I had this one shift in the ED where you know more than a third of our patients were COVID patients. We had to hospitalize some of them. And it was just far more than I had seen in all my other shifts combined. And it just was such a gut punch because, you know, we had been doing so well. And finally, this we were, you know, kids were safe from this. And then, boom, here we are with the numbers going up. And so as the community numbers go up, unfortunately, numbers and kids are going up. And nationwide, um, there, we're now at a point with so many children getting COVID that nationally, they're tracking the statistics of pediatric hospitalization, pediatric deaths, um, pediatric ICU admissions as well, where up this far in the pandemic that hadn't been needed, but now, unfortunately, it is. Yeah, it's 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 getting scary, and I guess mm-hmm. that's, I guess that's where I want to start with you is 
when it comes to COVID, why did, why were we for so long able to keep our numbers low? And then all of a sudden, over these last this last month to few weeks, we've seen a dramatic increase. I think there's a lot of reasons, you know, some of it we have control over, some of it we don't, some of it we kind of like we have control over and some of it's personal responsibility. You know, this is a new germ to us, you know, it's relatives are things we've seen before, but it's relatives were like on the level of a common cold, you know, this version is kind of a crazy uncle of the family, right, where it's much, much worse than the other coronaviruses. And so, you know, we didn't know exactly what it was going to be like. It appeared that maybe there's going to be some seasonality to it that, you know, be different in the summer than in the winter. We see that with a lot of germs. Um, and we were, took a while to get a good handle on exactly what the spread was like, how it was going to spread. And so, and, and since it was new and understandably really scary, I think we did a great job with really locking people down. Unfortunately, we didn't do it at a national level. Our state, you know, was hit so hard in New York City that most of New York really locked down very, very well. Um, plus the weather was nice, so you could still get outside and kind of do things, and you didn't have this kind of cooped up in your house sense. And now here are we all these months later where the rest of the country is now starting to see numbers and, and they can spread back our way as well. Um, but we've all been working so hard at this for so long, it gets exhausting. And the problem is the germ doesn't get exhausted and it doesn't care. So it can still spread when we when the fatigue sets in and all of us and so the you know people not being able to gather outside because of the change in the weather people having these gatherings in their home because of holidays or, or just kind of school starting play dates starting things along those lines have really increased our spread so i think there's just a lot to it of everybody's sick of dealing with this me included 100 mm. percent um we can't necessarily be outside as easily as we were early on um and then I think there's a lot of problems with a lot of conspiracy stuff. There's a lot of misinformation out there with regards to kind of death rates and all of those types of things. So um, I think some people don't necessarily fully yeah. appreciate, appreciate the disease like they should. And let's talk about that a little bit because I hear a lot of people saying, <laughs> you know, the flu kills uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people over, over has killed yeah. a lot of people over the years. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I have a very close friend who, lost his wife to uh, the flu. So I understand that. But there is a difference in COVID-19 sure. to the flu. The, yes. <laughs> and I'm sure you've seen this in your, you know, with the work you've done. But, and I've talked to people that say, there's just something different about COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So talk to me a little bit about what, I mean, there's so many different symptoms of COVID-19 and so many different symptoms that we're seeing. I mean, new ones are popping up every day. It seems almost every day. You, hear about <laughs> new, you know, we didn't know that this happened, but this is happening now. So talk to me a little bit about that. And the people that say it's no worse than the flu, how can you describe it as be something that they should be as worried about, if not more worried about? So I think, you know, it always kind of makes me laugh when people say, oh, we don't care about the flu. But if you look at like consistently every year, all of my media spots uh, in September and October are all about the flu. Like doctors have always worried about the flu and we do our best to try to have these huge flu vaccine campaigns and all of this stuff, you know, flu before boo, get your vaccine before Halloween. All of these things happen because we know in the United States, you know, about 30,000 people die from the flu every year, which is an astronomical amount. But for whatever reason, 
just it's not necessarily front of mind for so many people. And yes, there is a vaccine that is incredibly variable year to year. It has to be changed because the flu, um, the different types of the flu change year to year. We have the benefit of what's going on in the other half of the globe um, is usually what we end up seeing in our flu season, right? So we can make some predictions and be a little bit more prepared. We had we couldn't make any predictions when it comes to coronavirus or COVID-19. So, um, you know, and the vaccine for flu, as hit or miss as it may be, it's still a whole lot better than nothing. And even if it doesn't totally prevent disease, it has a great job preventing death. So we have some kind of weapons in our arsenal that can be very, very helpful with regards to the flu itself. Um, you know, if you look at the just the sheer numbers of COVID-19 cases, obviously, of course, their death numbers are far, 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 far higher than any one year of flu that we've seen in recent history um, at all. And then we also know that for whatever reason, COVID-19 seems to be a germ that has really, we're starting to learn it has some or appears to have some long-term effects. And so, you know, even if people do not pass away from it, which I think, you know, so many people have died and that is terrible in and of right. itself, but three, four or five times that many people have been hospitalized. And, you know, being in an ICU for three weeks is not a cakewalk. That is still a huge, huge disruptor to a person's life. And so they might live on when they get through it all, but oh my God, nobody, I would not want to wish that on anybody whatsoever. So, um, you know, they're different diseases. We know a lot more about one than we know about the other. We've always worried about flu and we're worried about COVID too. Um, and I think that we um, are starting to learn more and should be worried about some of these long-term side effects. I'm also really worried about this kind of post-inflammatory syndrome that seems to happen only in kids. We know in the United States, there's been about 1,100 cases and there's 20 deaths. And so that's a lot out of 1,100 cases. And so as the COVID cases start to go up again, are we gonna start to see more of the post-inflammatory disease in kids? I think we, unfortunately, I think we probably will. I have great hopes we do not. If somebody's gonna change their pattern, it's gonna be COVID. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see, but in the next couple of weeks, we'll start to see those numbers potentially. Sure, and it's interesting. The, you know, uh, someone brought up a great question that I because when I announced that you were going to be on the podcast, mm -hmm. I put uh, put it out to people that if they had questions, feel free yeah. to ask. And if uh, uh, I did not get to go over the questions with you, so oh, but I saw them. I looked. I looked. Okay, very good. Uh, and if anybody wants to pop any more questions in the comments while we're talking here, and we can see if we can. Uh, answer those. But one of the questions that somebody private messaged me because they were they they were afraid to put it out in, in public themselves was, and it's a great question. Uh, we know that it's going to, the vaccine is going to go to frontline workers first, mm -hmm. as well it should. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the questions was, if we give it to the frontline workers, and then for some unforeseen reason, there is some adverse effect that we don't see coming and those frontline workers are now at risk or sick what mm -hmm. what is that is there a concern in the medical community about that so yes and no i mean we know that you know the the research and the people who've had the vaccines is a solid six months at least ahead of the newer batch of people who will be getting the vaccine um, now that it's starting to get rolled out and um even uh 
though we're starting to say that healthcare workers are going to be getting it. Remember, you know, the numbers of vaccine that's currently available is incredibly, incredibly small. So I you know, I um, was at a conference call about this the other night, and there's about 31 million um, people in the United States that count as these frontline healthcare workers. And remember, that's, that's housekeeping in the hospital, that's first responders, that's, right. this is a very broad net. It's not just doctors and nurses that are considered frontline workers. Thank God, because we have to protect the housekeepers and the transporters and everybody and the first responders. Obviously, they all need protection as well. Um, but, you know, New York State needs many, many millions of doses as this, you know, Monroe County needs hundreds of thousands of doses. And I think we're getting 11,000 doses in the first and everybody needs two shots. So, you know, it's going to be a long time before we're able to even appropriately vaccinate that people, that group of people that we're considering is most high risk. Um, there is a new uh, data collection system that's being rolled out with this vaccine so that all of the, the initial groups of people who are getting vaccinated will be part of a tracking system where they can self-record any of their symptoms. Um, you may have heard that there is a tracking system for all vaccines, but there's going to be a special one developed specifically for the COVID-19 vaccine just so it can be tracked um, even more closely. We know that common side effects of this vaccine, just like so many others, are some muscle aches and, you know, a little bit of a fever. And so hospitals are looking at, you know, they're not going to inoculate all of the people that are working in the same shift <laughs> together. They'll but, spread it out because you don't want everybody all of a sudden getting a fever because we don't want people at work with a fever. Even if we think it's from the vaccine right now, we have to be cautious. Um, you know, get a vaccine or you get a fever one day after your vaccine, you're not protected from COVID yet. Um, and so is it just from the vaccine or is it because you're maybe exposed and you actually have a, another illness? So all of these things are, are definitely being thought about. Um, I am, I'm not concerned. This information out of England is interesting. I think it's a little strange today that they've really, really been incredibly dramatic in the response as far as now saying anybody with any severe allergies in the United Kingdom should hold off on being vaccinated right now because they had two people supposedly had some type of allergic reaction. There's not been a lot of information released on that other than these were people who regularly carried EpiPens with them everywhere they went because whatever allergies they had were so severe that they wanted to make sure they always had um, their EpiPen with them, which is good that they were aware of their own um, health conditions, but that'll be looked at much more closely. And I think that's also instead of that making me nervous, that again, reassures me because yeah, everybody's watching really closely to make sure people are safe right. and to make sure as new information becomes available, we all have it. Just, just, I just want to take a moment just to, just to lighten this up just a little bit, because I had a conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about the vaccine and he said to me, well, what, what if the vaccine made you walk backwards? And I said, well, <laughs> at least I'd be walking. I didn't <laughs> Perfect. I do the moonwalk. <laughs> uh, I love it. I know. I always feel like Debbie Downer, like, oh, Elizabeth's coming on. She's going to talk about everybody getting sick and dying. Uh, no, but I, I think I'm actually really fun. I'm a nice, normal, fun person. I enjoy I, a cocktail. I can be like fun at a dinner party. I have been out with you. We have been to the comedy of the Carlson. Uh, yes. Uh, I laugh at jokes. Our very close mutual friends. And yeah. we do have a, a great time and we, we uh, laugh and joke, but this is, I just want to, and I'm, I just want to pop this comment up on the screen, just because I think it it illustrates some of what we're fighting against a little bit, mm -hmm. which is uh, you can't <laughs> pay me enough to take 
to take this shot, Wheels. Mm -hmm. Listen to me. First of all, I want to say to you, Andy Smith, thank you for uh, coming in and joining us. I appreciate it. But secondly, we're not here. Everybody, and, and Dr. Murray, you can speak to this more, but everybody needs to make their own decision. Mm -hmm. Right. Everybody needs to be comfortable with the decision they make. We're just trying to present you with information. Right. Right. So, and I think that fear is an incredibly powerful motivator of action. Right. And you hear a scary story and it's really, really, really hard to overcome that one scary story, even if you have data from 40,000 other stories. Right. That one scary story is going to stick with you. That information about 40,000 nothings doesn't isn't as meaningful. And and that's the trick of all of this is that it's a number. It's a, kind of an evaluation of numbers, right? The powerful stories are just that. They are powerful stories. Um, the trick is that there's a lot of powerful stories that are not based in fact. Right. And with social media, it can get spread really, really, really easily. The problem with vaccines, too, is there's a lot of organizations that are terrible. They have these really wonderful sounding names like Children's Health Defense Fund. That is a florid anti-vaccine terrible organization. The American College of Pediatrics is a horrible, horrible organization, in my opinion, that is anti-vaccine. It's anti-kid um, anti and so much stuff, you know, anti-LBGQ, um, anti-so uh, much stuff. And, you know, they want, they are a fan of conversion or conversion therapy for kids. And just, you know, again, but that name sounds like they're really good. It's easy to confuse them with the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is a great organization that's rooted in science. So it's easy. It's easy to get swept up in misinformation. Uh, Dr. Murray, if you could maybe, if you, uh, if you have any, any for this question here, mm -hmm. when does the vaccine become effective after it's administered? So it's looking like probably you'll be at peak protection about 10 days or so after the second dose. Remember, all of these vaccines are two-dose series. And so if you hear about 170,000 vaccines coming to New York State, well, that's really only going to vaccinate half that number of people um, for two reasons. Is One, we want to make sure that you get that complete series and not just half the series. And you need to have the complete series from the same type of vaccine, you know, there's the Moderna and the, the Pfizer. And so you can't switch and have one from each. You have to have two of the same. So um, they have to kind of, you know, batch it, if you will. But the first one is good. It boost, gives your um, pretty decent immunity. But that second one is a booster that really gets you up in the higher percentages. Um, and then they, they're asking me about 10, seven, 10 days or so after that is when you probably should be at, at a peak immunity. Now, this brings me to another Great question. And, and it's one of these where I, I assume that even though we get the shot or mm -hmm. the vaccine for the next little while, we're still going to be wearing or should we still mm -hmm. be wearing masks yes. and, and practicing social distancing and, and all of that stuff? Yeah, it's not a boom, we're vaccinated and done because, again, because of the sheer numbers. I mean, you think about how many people that it's going to be well into next year. Uh, before a critical mass of people are vaccinated. Um, and then, you know, new kids are always being born and we're not able to vaccinate children at this point. And so um, there's going to be a big population of people that are just going to be unvaccinated because they just don't um, qualify for the vaccines yet. Now, two, the companies are both uh, starting to expand their studies into children. Both are looking at kids down to 12 years of age. So that is certainly great 
But you know, even if we take kids out of this picture, there's just such a huge number of people uh, that need to be vaccinated. And remember, this is worldwide. You know, we can protect people in our own country, and that's good. But it's such a it's such a tricky germ that can spread pretty easily. So it could very easily come into a community. Um, again, you know, polo, polo, um, polio still exists, measles still exists, and they can rear their heads when the vaccination numbers get low. So it'll be a while, unfortunately, before we're going to be maskless. Now, uh, someone points out in the in the chat here. Uh, can you see the comments on the side, by the way? I can. I can. I'm trying to look okay, at them. I always feel bad, like, looking away. Looking yeah, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. It's not me not paying attention. It's me trying yeah. to ask <laughs> yeah. questions. Uh, but someone brings up a question here about, uh, they'd be curious to wonder your recommendations on some, someone getting the vaccine who is thinking about having a child in the near future. Yep. And so that information is just kind of getting studied. And it's and it's um, tricky. There's really no reason with the way this vaccine is made that it should have any impacts on fertility or anything along those lines. It just doesn't work in a way that should impact any of those cells. Um, of course, it still wants to get everybody still wants to look at that information. What we have known from studies past is that there's always a certain number of people that even though um, it's suggested to them that they don't get pregnant while they're um, volunteering to participate in a study. Some people get, still get pregnant and it happens. And so there is a certain amount of data that they're able to track by people who were involved in the original studies who became pregnant. And so we can get some information um, to see what's going on there. We do know that all information we have right now is that COVID while pregnant is dangerous. Um, and so I think what the OBGYN doctors and everybody's just trying to figure out right now is where is that where is that risk benefit exactly? And I think that there's so many other factors that go into this that for right now, the time being, it's going to have to be a one-on-one -on -one discussion with your physician who knows your medical history, the best and your risk factors and your family history and all of that kind of stuff. I, I would not be surprised if this is a vaccine that ends up being totally um, appropriate and safe for people, pregnant women, or people who want to become pregnant soon um, to get. But I think we're going to have a lot more information coming on that in the next few weeks. It's, yeah, it's, as someone who, my sister was pregnant uh, during the beginning of COVID-19, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a, it was a scary time. Uh, sure. uh, uh, and uh, for me, as someone with underlying uh an underlying condition. I tell people all the time, I'm I'm fairly healthy, right? But my mm -hmm. lungs are not as strong as everyone else's mm -hmm. because when I was born, my lungs were not fully developed. Mm -hmm. So my I'm assuming my lungs are not as strong as everyone else's. This could be very dangerous for me if if I were to get it. So I, you know, my my whole point in saying that is everybody has to take their own precautions and their own. Mm -hmm. I call it strategic risk, right? right. I, I was yeah. on your um, your uh, doctor, your not your personal page, but your other page, and you had <laughs> you had a very you had a video up there that said my parents live a mile away mm -hmm. from me. Yeah, and it was very well done, by the way, how you did it. Thank you. And how my men, my mom's friends all cry. They called it like, "Don't watch this video; it'll make you cry." Yeah, you you'd never used the cookbook before because your mom does yeah. the cooking. But for uh, the record, I made a great turkey. It all worked out okay. Good for you. <laughs> and but it was interesting because you were you were 
making the point your mother lives a mile away but you out of an abundance of caution because you and your husband both work in the medical profession mm-hmm. we're staying home now we know that there's going to be people that that still feel the need to go out and and be right. with um family and mm-hmm. and so talk to me a little bit about if you're going to do that what mm-hmm. kind of steps can you take to make yourself as safe as possible right i mean so early on in this it was all about flatten the curve and we had to stop the disease in its tracks until we could fully understand it and then you know, a couple months ago, we've kind of moved into what we were calling risk mitigation. So that's my word for what you were talking about, risk mitigation, right? That we know that there's nothing we can do that's 100% safe unless you truly are like in a bunker, never having contact with anybody else, right? But nope, that's not conducive with life. At some point, we have to figure out, are there safe ways that we can re-engage? So schools are a great example of that, where we have figured out a way for not all, unfortunately, um, but for some schools with distancing of the students, physical distancing with mask wearing, with really close attention to hygiene and, and ventilation and things like that. We've been able to get some kids back into school and, and shown that we can do that very safely. It's actually, school is probably one of the safest places for kids right now. But having said that, you know, my daughter's school is 100% in person, but there are definitely some kids um, that attend the school that have chosen to do remote learning because of other health concerns and things within their family. You know, maybe they have a parent that's being treated for cancer or another parent that's on an immunosuppressive medicine. And so the risk for them, even as safe as we know schools have been, the risk for them is just too great. And and they don't want to take it. And that's totally understandable and okay. And so, I mean, I think that every time we're going to engage in a new activity, we have to just really say, you know, what is what is the risk that's acceptable to us and what is the downside? And, you know, if I become symptomatic and spread it to somebody else, how am I going to feel knowing that some people do fine and that some people get catastrophically sick with this germ? Um, And so you just, you kind of have to look at each situation and it's so easy around family and close friends to let your guard down, right? Because they're your family and they're close friends and you know them so well. And so it feels more strange to wear a mask around them. It's very easy to just kind of think you don't need to or come over and you sit on that couch and I'll sit on this couch and we'll probably be far enough apart and it'll be okay. But then, you know, you go up and you get something to drink, you know, you got to hand them something. And I I don't know, it just, it all kind of falls apart. And that's what our data is showing us right now that in-home gatherings of, you know, small numbers of people, it's what's been driving this huge amount of spread that we've been having. It's not many of the businesses, some businesses have been terrible, but a lot of the businesses, um, you know, salons and things like that have done a, a really good job. And then schools have definitely done a really good job. And, and I think, and this is more just commentary on my part, because this doesn't necessarily have to do with medical, but I think a lot of the frustration I see people having is with some of the, the rules uh, or the mandates uh, that the, the, our government has sort of put on us, uh, state and federal, uh, where they say, well, how can one business be open, but the business right across the street can't be open? Or a, a comment I often see on Facebook is, well, coronavirus isn't contagious after 10 o'clock because that's right. asking right. the yeah. restaurants to close down. Yeah. I think, and the, again, this just me on my soapbox a little bit. If you want to jump in, feel free. But I think it's one of these things when they ask the businesses to close down at 10 o'clock, it's because mm-hmm. they don't mind. They You can go have dinner 
and have mm -hmm. a drink with dinner, right. right? But the risk becomes greater. <laughs> Am I wrong yeah. when people are just sort of standing around yes. and just, you know, congregating? Yes, the emergency medicine doctor in me would say nothing good happens after midnight, right? right. Nothing, nothing right. good happens after midnight. It's just I, nothing good. Right. But and but that's exactly what happens. It's just that that ten beyond hour is people more likely to be standing in a bar, standing closer, having more drinks, maybe making worse decisions. All of that kind of stuff unravels, and so that's why. And and I agree. I mean, you know, New York State has done a really good job in some things, and lately it's been a little bit more hodgepodgey. But what you have started to see as far as the, you know, let's the greater push towards school being open is because we've had some local health departments and stuff really saying, but here's our data, let's look at our data. And so we have been successful, I think, in getting some things changed. Um, you know, in the perfect world, the whole country would have completely shut down for four weeks, and we would be in a much better place like Australia and Finland and some other places that are doing um, a, a great job. Now, unfortunately, as a nation, that didn't happen. We can't. And the thing is, we can't go back. We right. can't go back. We can only go forward. Um, and so we've got a ways to go, but we have to keep going forward. And I would like the rules to be a little bit different, but um, they're just not. So I don't I don't get to control that this week. No. And and, and, and nor should you have to. You've got enough on your plate. <laughs> yeah, You've got enough on your plate. Thank you. No, thank that's you. Why, that's why I said it was just sort of me. <laughs> up on my soapbox a little bit yeah. because as someone who uh, Dr. Murray used to be out and about all the time mm -hmm. and to have to be home, yeah. I just want people to understand a little bit more. Mm -hmm. We understand that you want, if, if you're a completely healthy person, mm -hmm. I understand the want and the need to want to be out socializing. Sure. But when you wear your mask, you're doing it for other people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're doing it for me you're doing it for dr murray because then the chances of her maybe seeing an overrun of people in the emergency room is mm -hmm. not as great right so right that's exactly right when, when you think about not when you say i don't want to wear a mask and the you know the the government shouldn't tell me and i'm not okay so think mm -hmm. of it this way you don't want to wear your mask but think about the person that's next to you at the grocery store who you're doing it for their comfort and their safety. So start thinking of it that way. And right. I, think I mean, that's what makes me so sad about this actually is because this like desire for individual freedom has lost the importance for a collective good. And, you know, and that I think is, is just so sad that there's, and I, I do firmly believe that it's just like, anti-vaxxers who it's a small vocal minority, but they're very vocal. And so it feels like there's so many more of them than there really are. But nonetheless, it still makes me sad that somebody would say, you know, it's my freedom, it's my body, I'm not gonna wear a mask, but it, it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's you're making a judgment saying you don't care about protecting the people around you. And that I think is a shame. That's, yeah, that, you know, yeah. that tells me a lot more about that person than just they don't wanna wear a mask. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. And then we had another question that came in from the post that I posted mm -hmm. earlier. And they wanted to know, would you feel comfortable getting the vaccine? Oh, yeah. I'll be there as soon as I can. I don't know. I mean, my husband will definitely be in the first tier, I think, because he works in the ICU. Um, me as a PED person, I don't know where I'm going to exactly fall out. But if they give me the opportunity to, to get it, definitely. You know, again, 
the local hospital systems have been very clear about healthcare workers are everybody who's in that environment. And so, you know, I, I feel very strongly that we've got to make sure housekeepers and transporters and the non-medical staff are, because they're in that environment too, so they need to be protected. And every piece of information I've seen has shown that that is going to be the case. So when it's my turn, sign me up. I will be there. Yeah, yeah. You can videotape it. You can tape it. I don't, I always post my flu shot selfie every year anyway. So, you know, whatever. I'll I, 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 I saw that. And, uh, and uh, we, one of the greatest uh, privileges uh, that I've ever, that I've had, and I, and I mean this sincerely, was when you asked me to be part of the uh, little thank you video that we put together, that, that you put great. together for, yeah. uh, the the frontline workers mm -hmm. for um, first responders for yeah EMS week so yeah. that was great thank you for doing that because uh, uh, you know and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because you and your husband are both uh, you know you said your husband works in the ICU uh, mm -hmm. department and you're in the ER uh, so you're you're also and you have children so <laughs> what kind of what kind of weight does that put on you, knowing that you're doing this for the greater good and you're serving your community and and you know really out there on the front lines of this COVID? But there 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 is a great risk when you come home at night. Yeah, but I think you know he well. So he's a lung doctor and an ICU doctor, and so he kind of goes back and forth between just regular lung doctor stuff and being in the ICU. But during the peaks, he was 100% ICU, and it sounds like maybe we're going back in that way. But you know, right now, so far, everybody's had access to enough PPE, and so that's been good. Um, you know, the routine is a little bit different. Of you know, change out of. You wear regular clothes, change into your scrubs at work, change out, come home, shower, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, during the original phase, he moved into the guest room because he was covering the ICU all of the time and just, you know, or would come home from work and he would sit at the kitchen counter and eat and the rest of us would be at the regular table eating just to have a little extra space. Um, just because we just didn't know what to exactly expect, you know, since then, I think we've got a lot of good information that appropriate use of masks and everything in the hospital setting are really doing a good job to decrease transmission. It's not perfect, but careful use has been really, really good. And so, you know, as we go into it this time, hopefully we'll be met with the same success as we were last time of everybody coming through. We both have had our antibodies tested and they were negative. So, you know, we had kind of some simple colds early on. I think we both kind of thought, well, maybe, Maybe we've got it, right. but um, our antibodies were negative, so neither of us have had it. And isn't it isn't it it's sort of interesting because every time somebody gets a little bit of uh, I listen, I don't hardly leave the house, and every time I get a little sniffle or a, or yeah. a, a, a thought of not feeling well, I'm thinking, oh no, <laughs> you know, there it is. So there. I is. know. I have reached that phase of life where like sometimes I get a little refluxy if I eat too late at night, you know, and then I get like a little cough, a little tickle my throat from the reflux because, oh, my God, I'm now that old. But so that happened the other night. My husband's like, put your mask on, go sit in the corner, <laughs> like, you right. know, go watch TV in the other room right. just in case. And we'll see how you feel the next day. And I felt fine the next day. But, you know, we got to we got to do those kind of things. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's a whole new world we are living in for sure. I, um, you know, we talk about social media and all the misinformation that's out there. And I also saw something else on your page 
from one of the, and I'm drawing a blank on his name and I feel really bad right now, but from one of the news anchors at Channel 8. It was yeah. a Thursday thought, I think he calls it. Um, and it was talking about you get your information from where you get your information from. And if you're going, uh, if you're going trout fishing, you would expect that the the guide to, if you weren't getting mm -hmm. a bite in a certain area, to take you to the proper area, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with your information. You right. should get it from, yeah. For example, yeah, I think it was Adam Chodak, right? Adam Chodak. Friday night, exactly. it was Adam's Friday night yes. thoughts. Yes. Deep thoughts with Adam Chodak. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and it was just a very interesting way to to to, uh, to sort of frame it in this, you know, if you're going trout fishing, you you look to the expert, mm -hmm. you know, I, just for example, on Facebook the other day, somebody posted uh, the coronavirus vaccine uh, could give you AIDS. Yeah. Right. Now, listen, <laughs> it's not true, but this scares people. Right. So when as a as a physician and, and as a you know as a doctor, what do you when you when you counsel people, what do you where do you tell them to to go get their information? Yeah, so I think that as we kind of look at our education system, you know, so much has changed with remote learning and people kind of trying to figure out are we educating kids well? I think it's a great time to look at what we teach kids and being a good digital citizen and understanding um, the internet is actually a learned skill. And I think that that's something that should be taught starting in elementary school and moving up. My oldest daughter does have classes in digital citizenry, which I think is so awesome and so critical because it's just, we need to understand the beast that it is. And so you know, my kind of general basic rule of thumb for when I'm looking for a piece of information is that, you know, kind of for times, like I'm a reporter, like fact check it, you know, so who is the source? You know, is it what a source that I consider reputable? Like, is it coming from a university? Is it coming from a known researcher? You know, that kind of stuff. And then can I find another source that's saying the same piece of information? Uh, and so, you know, if I can find backups to that piece of information and again it's it's they're both coming from reputable sources or a source where I can actually read the document because so many people post like things that they cut and paste out of articles and you have no idea what that article really is um you know you got to have the source material and so if you can look at all of that and interpret all of that and you can have multiple well-respected scientific institutions supporting it then you know it's it's likely fact but these kind of one-offs of my friend said this or i heard this or there's some anonymous statement that that is happening right that's that's there's plenty of facts out there that you know nobody's hiding anything no you know people think they're hiding things and i you know and people you know i'm oh I'm, she's a vaccine shill and all this kind of stuff but you know the thing is as an emergency medicine physician i don't really vaccinate anybody sometimes we have to give out tetanus vaccines but I'm not a general pediatrician. I, I see the side effects of people not being vaccinated. I see the vaccine preventable diseases. Um, you know, so it's kind of always really interesting to me that people think, oh, she's making money off of vaccines. No, I'm not. I'm a right. salaried physician. It doesn't matter. I don't give vaccines to right. hardly anybody. There there is this there is this new phenomenon. I don't know if it's new or if it's just been brought to light more, where everybody thinks everybody's doing something for a because they're getting something out of it. And yeah. whatever happened to the days of no, we're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. Right, I know, isn't it? Again, that just, that makes me sad that 
Um, you know, and then it's so often it's the people who are claiming others are making money. They're the ones making the money off the supplements and the all this other kind of stuff that's definitely not proven in, in science whatsoever. But sure. um, yeah, I know. And I don't know where things changed, but, um, you know, maybe those skeptical people were always there and they just didn't have a voice. And now because of social media, they have a, a much louder voice. And so we know about them more. I, I don't know. I don't know. But um now I, I am, I am a couple more things I wanted to touch on you with. And one sure. of them being that you have a focus with uh, as a pediatrician. Um, I want to just talk a little bit to parents and because we know the weather is getting a little, you know, it's not as nice outside. So mm-hmm. it's harder to get our kids outside and they're, they're being forced to be away from their friends more. But is it still, is it safe? Because I know in the, in the summertime we were saying, um, you know, if you know where your next door neighbor's kids have been and what they've been doing, it's okay to let them get together and play outside. What, what is the, what is the school of thought now that the weather's getting a little, because this is not good for kids. Kids Right. Well, right. I mean, I think that it's it's a little bit tricky because there's uh, like all of this stuff. There's so many factors that play a role. And so that if kids wanted to still play outside in the snow, which lots of kids like to do, that probably is still going to be okay as long as they're not like up in each other's face, putting snowballs in each other's face. That is probably going to be okay. The trick is that when you reach a level of spread in a community that we have, it's really kind of called community spread, where it's we're getting to the point where people aren't necessarily able to identify who they were exposed to. You know, early on, people could say, you know, this person infected this person and, you know, it went down the way and you could figure it out. We're no longer there where people are just getting it via community spread. And so that makes it much trickier to ensure that your your pod or your bubble is really being safe, because if, you know, that six-year-old is being brought by mom to the grocery store, they might be exposed, even though they're not necessarily interacting with other people, just because, again, the numbers in the community are, are so great. So it's harder to tell. We, But again, unfortunately, the data right now is telling us that these in-home gatherings, so play dates or smaller things like that, are causing some of the spread. So I think that um, you know, you have to make that kind of risk assessment and decision for yourself if you have very close family friends and you are 100% sure that they are really not going anywhere and your children are really struggling and they need to have that play experience, um, do it in the safest possible way you can. Like the kids still need to be wearing masks. If they're both, if they're doing some type of craft craft activity, sit them at either ends of the table and do it. Um, There's a lot of things that you can do, you know, have them sit, if they're watching a movie together, they can, but again, just like on chairs, way separate from each other. Make right. sure everybody has their own like individual snacks. You're not sharing a bowl of popcorn. That kind of stuff um, will help a great deal. Yeah, it's uh, man. I, I don't know. As an adult, you can deal with it because you uh, you you deal with it because you you kind of know the ramifications, right? But as a child, like you, my my four year old niece, she can't understand why she can't, you know, have mm-hmm. her friend come over and and play Barbies or whatever they would normally play. That Mm -hmm. is not a a thought in their mind. They just want to see their friends and, and it's, it's so difficult. Um, And it is, but kids can be resilient, right? That's when they're depending on us as parents to help them. You know, as parents, we are always helping our children evolve and go through 
the strains and struggles in life, right? And they can be simple to like having to study for a test. It can be much more severe, like the death of a grandparent. But as parents, that we help them walk through grief. And right now we're all walking through grief. This year has been a total year of grief, right? But we mm -hmm. have to make peace with it as adults and we have to help our children go through it. You know, wearing a mask should not be something that causes a huge burden in anybody's life. That, that's not that's on a totally different scale. That's not the death of a relative or, or something that's very traumatic. Um, you know, so we owe it to our kids to help them walk through this experience. And it's going to be hard and it's hard for everybody and people are going to walk through it in the, their own pace and in a different way. But if we take the attitude of this is the worst thing and this is making you suffer, then yeah, the kids are going to suffer. But if we can take the attitude of, yeah, this is hard on all of us, but there's things we can do to make it better and, and have honest conversations with our kids of all ages, then, then they're going to be fine. Um, and it's, they're not, it's, we're all going to walk through this together. So just a couple more things before I, I let you go and, and get back to your, your children. And thank you so much for doing this for me. Because Happy to do it. Happy I know it. Uh, you've been working hard and, and thank you for all that you do and your husband does and, and all the frontline workers that uh, many of us will never know uh, their names. Uh, you know, the, the they're doing a job, but they're doing much more than a job right now because you're putting your own health and safety at risk. So we thank you for that. But the one thing I wanna, one thing I hear people, you know, I get a big cross section of people coming across my timeline because of uh, uh, being on the Brother We Show. And some of the things I see is, uh, yeah, you know, we, the, the guidelines change all the time, right? So the the amount that you should quarantine changes, um, all this changes. I also, so is it frustrating as a doctor when, when we see all these changes in the guidelines? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the, I'm glad we're watching comment that I made earlier that, you know, I think that, we all would help hope for a little bit um, smoother dissemination of information like these last CDC guideline changes when they were talking about decreasing the quarantine that did not get rolled out well because the guidelines don't really say, don't worry, you can decrease quarantine. It says if there is all these extenuating circumstances and this is a true burden or you need to get an essential worker back to work and they've had a negative test after you know this number of days, then they can come out of quarantine early. It's not quarantine now is only 10 days or seven days. Right. But that's how a lot of that information got disseminated because it wasn't disseminated very well. So those kind of things, when we're not having this coordinated effort to get clear messaging out to the people, that frustrates me greatly. But this is a new disease. And so we're going to know more information over time. And so things are going to evolve and change as we know more stuff. You know, early on, nobody wanted to do the masking because just it seemed like it was going to be too much of a burden and it wasn't until we got to such a critical point that we had to do it that it got initiated. Um, you know, so, so many people were saying, oh, they said, don't do masks. We needed to save equipment for the people in the hospital. So we didn't want equipment being used up for people when it wasn't probably gonna help at that time. Um, we know more now and we our disease process is different now. And so we have to treat it differently. Right. So I, I would, I think it would be far worse if nothing ever changed and we didn't continuously reevaluate stuff because then we wouldn't be learning more information 
and we'd still be, you know, using old medicines. You know, think about all the stuff we used to do in science that was dangerous and terrible. And thank God we learned how to do better. Um, we always have to I mean, learn how to do better. Were, well, at one point they were using leeches way back in the day. Leeches are back, kind of. Sure. I'll have you know that leeches are kind of back for some different. Well, you know, and I don't really know where that stands, but you know, what a leech does is it injects this chemical that's a blood center, basically, and so they don't clot. So there was some information. I, I think they're still doing this, and like if they have to reattach a person's finger or something like that, they have to reattach a body part. They can put some leeches uh, at the um, attachment site, and then it helps the blood flow stay intact for a few wow. days. Okay. Maybe maybe it's fallen out of the way again, but that was they were doing it. They weren't just putting leeches all over people to drain their blood. They, it was a very specific purpose, so that, to try to like help reattached body parts stay healthy. Well, look at Gross. we're learning stuff all over the place here. Oh, today. I remember when I was a student, like going into a patient's room and there was a bucket of leeches on their windowsill. I was like, "What in the hell is this?" What? But the plastic what is surgeon was like, "No, no, no, it's good." Yeah. Yeah. The one last thing I wanted to touch on is. You know, the one thing that frustrates me, and I don't even know if it should frustrate me, but it does because I think it's one of these things. I hear people say all the time, well, our infection rate is going up because we're testing more. No, our rate of tests hasn't changed all that much. So can we talk a little bit about that, how that doesn't, that's not, it doesn't <clears throat> correlate really? I mean, if you don't take a pregnancy test and you're pregnant, you will still be pregnant. So <laughs> Same kind of, you know, same kind of thing. So, you know, the number of tests that are given are, are, are tracked and, you know, we will periodically have these huge increases in testing availability and, but then we can still get a, a rate, you know, and so it's a, it's a positivity rate of the test being offered. So overall as a nation, yes, our testing has gone up, but even when our amount of testing has been consistent, thank you, Deanna King, even when our amount of testing has been consistent, the rate of positive tests has gone up. I am wearing a nice, uh, forest green actually it's not black because as you know i like to wear colors i'm sorry it's too dark wait should i stand up a little bit as you can see it's a nice forest green it's a lovely color it matches my eyes thank you very much deanna yeah and i'm just i'm just promoting my own podcast and my own uh merchandise i am yet to have any swag but well, i will listen, hopefully be able to get some, in some now point. that you have become a guest on the uh, wednesdays with wheels podcast you will get some swag my friend Thank uh, you very much. I'm but, very glad uh, to have listen, you. Like, do you, do you like my mad scientist background? This is actually my real wall. It's not even a fake thing. It's just. Well, I was just going to say to you, that's like one of those things they put up behind you when you do a. Yeah, it's not fake. Wall. It's real. It's just a crazy person wall. That's what it is. Yeah. Somewhere in one of those books, you can find out about leeches. Yeah, that's right. And it's not from 1812. Right. Listen, this has been great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This. This was, I hope, an informational hour. We probably lost a few people when I, I got up on my soapbox a little bit. Okay. I do want to let you promote because you do an Instagram, right? I do. You on do Thursday night. Live? Yep. Yeah, Thursday nights at 9.30 Eastern, my friend, uh, Dr. Christina Johns. She's a pediatric emergency medicine physician down in Maryland. Um, so she's Dear Dr. Christina on Instagram. So every Thursday night, we started it like year and a half ago now just to kind of, it was supposed to be you know two pediatric emergency medicine doctors who are also moms and kind of just recapping the stories of the week and saying you know do we have to worry about this story or do we not have to worry about this story you know like one week wine is good for you and one week is wine is bad for you you know what do we need to pay attention to and then the pandemic hit so it's basically kind of pandemic updates every week but we always try to put in a regular 
pediatric illness a something a, a teaching point in the, in the week's news story so yeah 9 30 on thursday nights on instagram live check us out now, if you would they, like so do they find that through your instagram can they find it through both yeah you can find it through mine you can find it through mine I and mean, we technically officially broadcast from her channel because she has more followers than me but um i think if you click on either of us you'll see it at some point i hope instagram allows you guys to do something like this yes I agree. I'm so I would much rather use a platform like this. We were considering doing it on YouTube, but it just the Instagram live now that you can have the two people sharing, it works pretty. Has there ever been any thought of doing it on like a Facebook? Yeah, it's just we just have more more parents seem to be on Instagram now. Right. Yeah, just had a better audience there. Why? I think that's because that's where their kids are. Well, Snapchat is a whole nother thing. And TikTok, I'm not I have like 13 followers on on the TikTok. I'm just a TikTok stalker. That's all. Oh, I made a few videos. They're not good. They're not I good at all. But I've tried. And her uh, and her adventures with all her dance moves. Oh my yeah, my, I made a reels. You know, so the Instagram now has reels. I did see supposed that. to be like TikTok. And my reels is hilarious because I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought I, I was looking for, I wanted the green screen one and I was looking for it. So I kept on like pushing the different buttons. I didn't know it was recording. So it's like me talking to myself saying, oh, what is that? I didn't want that. And then it's like, are you done with your video? I'm like, done with my video. I haven't made a video. And I watched and it's just me scrolling through all the things saying, what is wrong with this? This isn't what I wanted. I mean, it's such an old person. So that's my reels. Yeah, there you go. Well, thank you, my friend. Okay. This has been great. I appreciate you. And I'm going to do it. When this is all over, we're going to get together with Deanna and uh, Nikki Rudd. And uh, and I, I, I just tell this quick story before we go. I remember the first time, I believe it was, that I met you. We went out to, Deanna said, me and the girls, or me and my girlfriend, are oh, all God. going out to Pane Vino. Yeah, for Nikki's birthday. For yeah. Nikki's birthday. And she yeah, said, right. girls, why don't you? Why don't you come out with us? Yes. So, all right, let me chow. I have to tell you, that was the most fun I ever <laughs> had that night. Jennifer Johnson kept telling me how beautiful my skin was. <laughs> you too, skin of a baby. Just such a healthy, pristine life. I was like, this is Jennifer Johnson. She's gorgeous, and she's telling me my skin is beautiful. <laughs> uh, but it was, a, it was a great night, and we've become fast friends, all of us. And, and so I appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, this was another episode of Wednesdays with Wheels. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, I hope it opens, makes you think a little bit. But remember, at the end of the day, just make your own decision. You know, if you want to wait a little while to get the vaccine to see how other people react to it, that's up to you. You know, we all need to start understanding people and uh, just understanding where people are coming from. And then I think we'll be a much better, in a much better place and a much better society. So, ladies and gentlemen, have a great night. Dr. Murray, thank you so much, and we'll see you next Wednesday. All right. Thank you. Good night.